2: program may contain traces of irony, sarcasm, satire, parody, mockery, banter, caricature and nuts. The opinions expressed are almost certainly not shared by self-appointed, officious, dictatorial wowsers. If you are dangerously irony, deficient, or allergic to mockery of the self-important and corrupt, then get a life.
1: Yeah, get a life, everyone. It's environmental as anything. Welcome to another Saturday afternoon filled with the uh, the news, analysis and interviews, focusing on the, uh, the crises uh, and also the solutions... And actions that we can all take to get there to the uh, the, the better future that we all uh, aspire to. I always say it's a we've got a choice to make. It's uh, between Mad Max and Star Trek. Uh, and personally, I'm a big Star Trek fan. Don't know about you. Everyone's got different opinions on these things. Some people would prefer prefer to live in uh, Bullet Town. Uh, just not me. Never mind. I'm Sean. That's my uh, little burst of opinion just starting off the show. Uh, I'm Sean O'Shaughnessy. Uh, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have your company here on Environmental as Anything. We have got uh, heaps on, as always. There's a big uh, big show. Of course, this week, uh, you know, Red Alert, Koala Killer, faction of the Berejiklian government aka the national party have uh, decided to ram through uh, the rules they couldn't get through the parliament the parliament rejected their koala killer bill last year oh, only months ago it doesn't it wasn't last year and uh, yet and yet they've gone through the back door they've gone around uh, the environment minister sidelined him and it's uh, John Barilaro, Rob Stokes, uh, under the the guidance of Ger- Gladys Berejiklian, have brought in rules, <coughs> new SEP for koalas, the SEP 2021, I think it's called Koala SEP, uh, brought in to essentially strip all co- uh, protections from uh, koalas in uh, uh, well in 95% of the state. Uh, it's 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 lovely, They're using great weasel words. I heard heard them on the radio the other day on another chat, another station, but uh, I heard them uh, talking about it saying how, yeah, it's all right, they'll be they'll be protected where ninety five percent of the development takes place in the state, by which they mean in the cities. So all you latte sipping koalas out there concerned that y- your property prices might be uh, affected by this, Don't worry about thing, you're okay. It's only the those uh, your country cousins. The bush koalas, the ones that live, you know, in the bush, that are going to be threatened by this. And, uh, yep, as we know already, they'll be driven to extinction. This is just uh, not just a business as usual plan. This is ramping up the assault on nature, which has driven us to the brink of collapse, and uh, it seems determined to uh, keep accelerating over that cliff. Anyway, uh, we will have... Kate Fairman from uh, the New South Wales parliament she's the chair of the committee which has been running the which ran the koala inquiry made 42 uh, very reasonable uh, re- uh, uh, recommendations i think 14 of which were given the thumbs up by the uh, the and Koala Killer government and uh, they, uh, she'll be on. She uh, recorded a piece uh, just the other day, just straight after this decision was made, explaining what's going on there. And then straight after uh, Kate Fairman, we'll be speaking to local renowned environmentalist, uh, Dylan Pugh. And he'll give us uh, his perspective on what this uh, decision means for us in the local area He'll also be talking about some ongoing carnage in our rainforests out at Tulum. Anyway, we'll wait till Dylan gets on. He's always uh, good value. Well, we'll have uh, the eco news from the community newsroom, which is a great roundup of uh, some of the local uh, environmental news items, uh, courtesy of Mia Armitage at the community newsroom in Byron Bay. We'll be uh, getting an extended climate and weather outlook from the Bureau. We'll be talking to Ashley Brinson. Uh, Michelle Michaels spoke to Ashley Brinson from the Warren Centre for Engineering Excellence about the circular economy and how we can actually get there. We've been talking a bit about the circular economy. Regular listeners will be familiar with that concept. And, uh, yep, this is uh, M- M- Michelle Michaels from uh, Eco Futures in. Uh, in Byron Bay, who we've been—I've been working with quite a bit lately. She's—I uh, hope you're well. If you're listening in, uh, Michelle, just uh, just take care and look after yourself, so you you can take a break. It's okay. The world will still spin without you, even though you are doing such fantastic work. We do appreciate your contribution. And, oh, look, we've got so much to look forward to. Of course, later on in the show, I'm looking forward to having Naomi come in and shine her light upon us and uh, give us the perspective from the Lismore Environment Centre on local events and actions that are available for people to get involved with. Uh, This show is, of course, uh, you know, proudly associated with the uh, Lismore Environment Centre, uh, a fantastic uh, institution here in Lismore, doing great work down there at the Transit Centre, helping out uh, people with their transport needs and in, on a volunteer basis and also uh, helping any community uh, groups or individuals who are working on environmental issues uh, with, uh, with funding and support of various kinds. So thanks to the Lismore Environment Centre for its ongoing uh, work down there. And thanks to Naomi for coming in to keep us up, keep us abreast of uh, proceedings. Well, I think without too much uh, further ado, we might uh, go to the eco news.
2: From raspberries and bananas in Australia to apples and pears in the United States, climate patterns and events are impacting plant cycles and crops. We hear from farmers and scientists in today's Eco News. Staying in the States, we hear how energy planners in Texas could have been more prepared had they listened to scientists before millions of people were left without power in February's deep freeze there. I'm Mia Armitage, and it's my pleasure to welcome Year Twelve students from Shearwater for today's Eco News, brought to you by Community Newsroom at Bay FM.
3: My
4: name is Saxon Taylor,
3: and my name is Brodie McGee.
2: I'm Sherry Cohen, and I'm Charlie
5: Gator.
4: My name's Tilly Tansley Beckerman. My name's Mary Thorne. My name is Dylan Laylaw. Hi, my name is Oscar William Gray.
5: Hi, I'm Aurora.
4: A mid-North Coast raspberry farmer has reportedly lost $1.5 million worth of berries in just one hour. And after what he says was a tsunami of rain.
3: Peter Barty has owned a raspberry farm at Sherwood Creek Road in Corandai for the past two years having previously farmed bananas and blueberries.
4: Mr Barty says one moment it was a normal day with 53 workers picking, packing and planting raspberries.
3: But the next day they all had to be sacked because the crop was destroyed by a mini tsunami bringing 300 millimetres of rain in an hour and a half after midnight.
4: A creek also flooded the farm.
3: Mr Barty says the water was 2 metres high and 70 metres long across the properties.
4: He and others from the farm had to use a dinghy to get to their neighbours with four children and help them to safety.
3: Mr Barty says all the machinery that was parked outside the farm and up in a dam inside the creek. Everything inside the farm is
4: a wreck, including the office areas.
3: The farmer says they'll have to start from scratch.
4: There has recently been a significant flooding across the Coffs coast, with Coffs Harbour SES undertaking several life-saving rescues.
6: Meanwhile, experts say banana prices could increase by several dollars a kilo thanks to farmers in far northern Queensland suffering more than $180 million worth of crop damage after Cyclone Naran hit the coast. Bananas in 2011 cost as much as $14 a kilo after Cyclone Yazzie, and analysts say we could expect to see those prices again. That's because Queensland accounts for 94% of Australia's bananas, with almost all of them coming from north Queensland. Cyclone Naran battered the region with strong winds heavy rainfall and storms. The Queensland Farmers Federation says 150 farms are affected and the damage will be in the many millions of dollars. Some avocado growers have also reported damage, with fruit blown off trees, scarred from the wind, and some sugarcane farmers have infrastructure damage and road washouts. A Woolworth spokeswoman has told the conversation immediate supply of bananas isn't affected.
3: Overseas,
4: there are reports of a roller coaster ride in terms of weather patterns over the past several months across the United States. December and January were significantly warmer than average in many US locations but this was followed by an intense cold wave in February and more recently a dramatic warm-up.
7: While the wild weather changes create challenges for humans, even plants used to the harsh conditions are finding it hard
3: to keep up. So says Harvard professor of biology Richard Primack who is studying how climate change affects the timing of seasonal events in the life cycles of plants, birds and insects in the Massachusetts.
4: Dr Primax says normally in autumn, woody plants in many parts of North America start preparing for winter by losing water.
7: This drying up process leads to a higher concentration of sugars, salts and organic compounds in the plant cells.
4: The plants are then able to survive temperatures far below the normal freezing point of water. Soil, fallen leaves and persistent snow layers also help by insulating the ground above the
7: roots. But the trick has its limits and extreme cold events can kill certain plants.
3: Even after plants survive the cold winter, early spring can be just as dangerous, if not more, because the plants need to work out when to start shooting leaves. To leaf out, they have to pump water into their
7: new leaves and thereby reduce the concentration of sugars, salts and organic compounds into their tissues.
3: Leafing out therefore removes the plants winter protection from cold. When a
4: cold snap hits, the late frost can damage or kill young leaves.
3: The warmer winters can
7: also lead to more days when the ground is bare leaving no insulating layer of snow to protect the soil and roots from freezing.
3: Plants have a few ways of working out when the right time to grow leaves and flowers is, but Dr Primax says climate change is scrambling the signals.
4: When the flowers of fruit trees, such as apples, are killed by frost, the trees won't produce fruit till late in the summer.
7: Insect pests are also an increasing threat to plants.
3: As winter becomes milder, scientists say predatory insects are more likely to survive and move further north in the States, where the plagues will damage trees.
4: Dr Primack says in the northeast United States, native species such as sugar maple and beech will be gradually replaced by native species from further south such as oaks and hickories. He says similar
7: shifts are happening in many places as climate change alters the signals plants rely on to mark the changing
8: seasons. Meanwhile climate extremes are said to be wreaking increasing havoc on energy systems across the United States.
5: A recent crisis outage in Texas left millions without power or running water during February's deep freeze.
8: Many have blamed the state's deregulated electricity market saying tech Texas has prioritized cheap power over reliability.
5: Experts widely agree the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, or ERCOT, a non-for-profit corporation that manages the power grid for most of the states, failed to anticipate how sharply demand would spike prior to the cold wave in February.
8: But scientists writing for the conversation say energy planners in many parts of the U.S. substantially underestimate how sensitive electricity demand is to climate factors.
5: They say grid operators can prepare more effectively for the effects of climate change on both supply and demand by using forecasting models and software that academic
2: researchers have already developed.
8: They say many of these new solutions have already been published in open access journals.
2: Today's Eco News stories are sourced from Tweed Daily News, Brisbane Times and The Conversation with great thanks to the Year 12 students at Shearwater for coming into Bay FM to do a live reading.
8: Hi, my name is Oscar and I just want to wish everyone from Byron Bay a wonderful day.
2: Mia Armitage, Community Newsroom for Eco News.
1: And here you are, tuned into Environmental as Anything. Thanks for being with me. It's great to have your company That was, of course, the Eco News report from uh, the Community Newsroom, courtesy of Mia Armitage and uh, Bay FM, and the Shearwater Year 12 students uh, pitching in, getting a bit of uh, work experience, I guess, getting a bit of experience uh, producing their own media. Good on you. Good on you all. Sounding great. Uh... I think most of us understand the importance of saving our koalas from extinction. Very few of us have had the opportunity to look as deeply into the science and the politics of this vitally important issue as Kate Fairman. As chair of the parliamentary committee that held the koala inquiry last year and came up with 42 recommendations for the saving of the koala from its extinction, she has heard from all the experts and spoken to all the politicians involved in this contentious debate. As a Greens MLC in the New South Wales Parliament, she has stood at the edge of the abyss which is the Berejiklian government and stared aghast into it as that roiling nest of vipers has fought each other for the right to give more generously to their mates than each other. Of course, it's the koalas who lose out of all of this, and it's this week the New South Wales government have agreed to disagree with each other about this and let the koalas cop it on the chin. Their new koala planning policy uh, basically is a prescription for extinction. But Kate put it better than I ever could, so... This is her speaking the day after that disgusting decision.
9: Hi, everybody. Well, the government has done it. Uh, Five thirty last night, they issued a media release saying that they have reached a new deal to deliver the koala set twenty twenty one. Five thirty last night. Hmm. Let's think about that. Um. Usually, when governments release anything at 5.30 at night, it's either because something's breaking and something's happening and they really have to get it out there, I don't know, like an earthquake, or they're putting out something that is crap news for most people and they're trying to avoid media scrutiny. That's what this is. To be honest, after looking at it, I reckon the Premier has completely capitulated to the National Party on koalas, My Sense is she wants to get this distraction, which is basically trying to stop the clearing of koala habitat so they won't become extinct. I think she's just, she's over it, she's wanting to get rid of it. So we won't let her, her and uh, more on that later. But this is a complete disaster. Most of you will remember last year when there was that shocking local land services bill that came before this place. And remember, there was one Liberal Party uh, MP who crossed the floor to refer it to an inquiry. Well, that bill, because it was a shocker, that bill, we haven't ended up inquiring into it yet. That's happening in a few weeks' time. Meanwhile, with no consultation, literally no changes really from the existing bill in terms of increased... Uh, protection the government has released this so what are some of the things that basically this does and also stay tuned in because I'm going to tell you about some leaked emails or some emails sorry that I got through a request for information basically a motion was passed in the parliament that to reveal some emails between department of planning and the deputy premier and all this around this new set so stay tuned for that but what was announced last night is uh, pretty uh, disgraceful. Basically, private native forestry, local land services, essentially 80% of our land across all of New South Wales is rural land, so there's 80% of New South Wales. 60% of koalas are found on private land. There's a stack of koala habitat on these lands. Basically, the set won't be able to touch these lands, right? So the government has said, we want to protect koalas. Yes, it's important that we have a policy to protect koalas all across all um, land zones. That was their intention like a year ago when these were being first developed, or 18 months ago. But because of the hissy fit, dummy spit, tantrum by John Barilaro and the National Party on behalf largely of the timber industry and a bit from farming, they've completely... They have completely, completely sold out. So they have done things like they're saying dual consent provisions for um, the PNF, so private native forestry. I know a lot of people right up and down the mid north coast, north coast are really concerned about private native forestry. Dual consent for local councils to have a say, that's ripped out. Um, Basically, the Minister for Planning now will not allow councils to be empowered to rezone land, which is used for primary production, as environmental zones. That's really, really, has been really important for councils to be able to protect land in their area if it's environmentally sensitive, right? Councils have been wanting to do this for decades. Admittedly, some councils are a lot better than others in doing this, but... Clearly, the Minister for Planning has been lobbied by developers, lobbied by farmers, lobbied by the timber industry, and he's caved in on that. Is there anything good in here? Is there anything good? Does say that comprehensive koala plans and management, that some of you will know what that is, will be finalised to protect koala habitat in Tweed and Byron Shires. So good for Tweed and Byron that all the work you guys have been doing for. A couple of years now trying to get these plans and management in place so that koala habitat in your area at the very least if it's going to be cleared for something at least it has to go through an approval process and sometimes of course you'll just not allow clearing at all so that's fantastic but there have been other koala plans and management that are still with the Department of Planning such as uh, number for Coffs Harbour uh, and others Wallandilly, that haven't been Approved. Clarence, I should say. Clarence Valley as well. So this is all very dodgy. This is a complete disaster. In fact, uh, the government, I reckon, has given up on koalas. The government has given up on koalas. National Party, with their bloody hissy bit last year has um, essentially got their way. So we are going to continue campaigning. We are going to build a stronger movement on this. We are going to have our rally in uh, Sydney. We've got a statewide day of action on Sunday the 21st of March. We've got a rally in Hyde Park that starts at 11am. So come out for that and look for our other, basically other events around the state or hold events anywhere in New South Wales hold events on Sunday the 21st of March to campaign for koalas, to raise attention for koalas. Um, Hopefully we will get something posted in the comments on that, or you can see it on my website or Facebook page.
1: So as you hear from Kate Fairman there, the New South Wales koala killer faction of the Berejiklian government Uh, that is to say the National Party, have uh, handed their developer and logger mates a big prize and basically condemned the koala to extinction, if they get their way. She's got a lot more to say about the situation and has revealed uh, a a heap of documents that have been uh, handed to her uh, and we'll play more of that later in the show. Right now, uh, the Northeast Forest Alliance has described the announcement by Barilaro, Stokes and Keane that they are going to resurrect the koala killing bill under a different guise as a death blow for koalas and as a major windback of democratic rights in New South Wales. I'm uh, very very pleased to have uh, the uh, President of the Northeast Forest Alliance, Dylan Pugh, on the line right now to uh, talk us through how he sees this uh, impacting on our local koalas. Dylan, can you hear me? Yes, I can.
10: Good morning.
1: Thank you for joining Environmental as Anything today.
10: No worries.
1: Well, we've got. um, What's the what? What? How do you see this? Uh, you know, the the government's intent is to allow core koala habitat to be logged and cleared. Is that what's going on?
10: Uh, yeah. So the uh, the intent of the koala step was always, and this is since um, 1995, was to identify core koala habitat uh, across the landscape uh, in in local government areas as so a local government job to do so. Uh, and once it's identified, as core koala habitat. Once they have done the rigorous studies required and identified core koala habitat, then under the Local Land Services Act, it was required to be exempt from the clearing exemption. So basically, you couldn't clear it without approval. Uh, but that's only once it's been identified as core koala habitat. And then number the second part was that you weren't allowed to log it. So um, you know it it, it, it has a. a a good intent behind it, the intention of identifying core koala habitat and particularly across the landscape. Unfortunately, there's been really poor implementation. So, uh, we've got about uh, six or seven uh, koala plans management adopted so far to identify core koala habitat, and they're only for <clears throat> normally part of the local like government area. So, there's very little, um, you know, there's, there's different interpretations of what's core koala habitat within the government. and So, somewhere between five and six thousand hectares has been identified. Uh, uh, since 1995. So it, it's not very much uh, so far, but they were the revised uh, koala set, the, what they call set 2019, was intended to make it uh, easier for councils to identify poor koala habitat, because it was just prohibitive, prohibitive before. Uh, and uh, that's what really scared the, uh, the chooks, as it were. Um, uh, they don't want Koal koala have to, have to be identified or protected. So what they wanted... Was what they call a decoupling of the set from the uh, local land Services act, and that uh, uh, which meant that koala habitat would no longer be uh, require consent for clearing, and would no longer uh, be have logging prohibited in it. Uh, but they've gone far further than that. This time, uh, they've tried to move councils' uh, ability to restrict uh, logging across their shires. So. Currently, if we have a, uh, a local violence plan that identifies um, environmental zones, then they can't be bogged or cleared. Uh, and, um, and saying they have council through t- tree preservation orders as well, and, and they restrict logging as well. So part of the intent of this, uh, these measures they're taking, and it seems like they're going to do it by ministerial discretion now rather than by legislation to a large extent, uh, is to remove Council's ability to, um, firstly, to zone core, core habitat into environmental zones and, secondly, to allow logging within environmental zones and uh, Council will no longer be able to restrict uh, uh, logging in any shape or form that will be allowed across the landscape.
1: So, the uh, I think in Lismore there is a koala plan of management. In Byron there's one pending. In Tweed there's one pending. Is that right?
10: Uh, yeah, so... in the, the ones in uh, Tweed and Byron, uh, and, and the one in Lismore, only for very small parts of their local government areas. Yep. Uh, so the Tweed one and the Byron one are both coastal ones. They just basically do east of the highway. And um, But there's been those plans were done in 2015 for Tweed and 2016 for Byron, and the government hadn't allowed them to be adopted in all these years. They just sat on them, in part saying, wait till we do a new koala fest. Wait, wait, wait. And uh, so now they're saying they'll allow them to progress. Uh, but what that means, I'm not pretty sure. Um, you know, they can give uh, sort of like a tentative approval without giving a full approval, and that can take years then until they give final approval, which has happened before in other places. Um, but that's only east of the highway. And under the new changes, it will only apply to development applications, um, mainly for houses and uh and uh, and that's fine.
1: So they're not just uh, it's not just bad for the koalas. This is a fundamentally anti-democratic when uh, local governments can no longer regulate the activities within the shower. I mean, they can stop small-scale activities like you say, domestic houses being built, but they can't stop uh, large-scale logging and operations. You can't cut down a tree in your backyard, but they can go ahead and log, uh, you know, hectares at a time, hundreds of hectares at a time, even.
10: Uh, Yes, and and often in the the coastal areas they want to develop, that's a precursor to development. You go and degrade the area first, and then you can go do a development you like. (laughs) Um, But it's also all out inland areas. And and look, it's across New South Wales, and that's the frightening aspect of what they're trying to do, is to allow uh, logging to override all these environmental zones that councils have identified over decades. Mm. It's been a long, slow, and torturous process to get areas put into environmental zones. Uh, And now we're going to lose all those. Mm. So you'll start to see logging in all these areas that have been otherwise protected for decades.
1: It, it also seems to smack of a deep level of, uh, you know, conflict within the the, the, new, the Berejiklian government. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, Porky Barilaro come out and threaten the coalition if he didn't get his way, uh, you know, only a few months ago now. And yet, and here we are, you know, him getting his way. But we still see, uh, uh, you know, Matt Keane's promise of uh, protecting, uh, you know, ko- koalas by 20... You know, doubling koala populations by 2050, I think it was. Uh, you know, being sidelined. Completely, and he, he, and his his department seem to be being aggressively sidelined by this as well, don't you
10: think? Um, yes, but, but he, he did sign off on the latest deal that uh, Stokes and Baralao did, so he was joined in the media release. Mm. And, and what they're what they're saying is that, uh, regarding the Local Land Services Act, rather than relying upon mapping of core koala habitat by councils and. Uh, uh, and whatever other constraints on logging uh, by councils, i.e. environmental zones, uh, they're uh, going to, to improve the code for clearing. So currently in New South Wales, we have about 60,800 hectares of woody vegetation, so most of that forest, obviously, uh, being cleared uh, each year. Well, that was the figures for 2018, the last ones they released. But the, the frightening aspect of their clearing is that at least half of it in terms of woody vegetation is unexplained clearing. So oh, right. it's had no approval, it's had no assessment, it's clearing the landowners are doing, and the uh, the government doesn't know who or why or what's going on, and they don't really care.
0: Yeah. So
10: even when people blatantly break the rules and are caught out, and there's a lot of them that are, they usually get let off. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a cowboy regime. Uh, do what you like out there. Bush, and it's just absolutely frightening that they're going to make that worse. And that's what this is all about: the moving that uh, ability of for local communities, for councils, to have a say in how their lands managed in their in their shire. You know, your the, the paddock up the back of your place with bush on it, it might be owned by someone else. It's now uh, free go in, in all that country, and uh, uh, you know, I, I just think it's um, it's reprehensible they could be doing this, particularly when you we know our koalas are in such dire straits. Yeah. Uh, and yet it's just going to be this open warfare out there. The the, um, the other issue is that they keep on saying, well, it's OK, we'll remove those uh, abilities as a set to regulate logging, but we'll, we'll adopt new uh, uh, rules. We'll improve uh, the current logging rules, and the current logging rules are that uh, uh, if you find a quality, you've got to protect a certain number of seed trees, but you don't need to look before you log, and we find that they're not. So you can just go in there... And ignore the presence of koalas. You don't need to do any pre logging assessment at all yeah. to see whether koalas are there. And it's the same with Land Clear. Again, it's just open fabric. You don't need to look for koalas. You can just go and clear their habitat and of course you don't even the approval these days for most of it and most of
1: them, most of it isn't approved no it's a 1400 percent increase in land clearing according to Kate famine and that uh, talk she was giving there was another section of that talk that she said 1400 so 14 times as much land clearing uh, under the Berejiklian government as under you know previous uh, uh, regulatory regimes is that
10: that's what I call approved land clearing just the approved so. stuff. Yeah, so there's a whole of as I said, unimproved land yeah, clearing right. going on. And, and it, it's, it's about doubled, really, uh, or more than doubled since they changed legislation in
0: 2016.
10: Yeah. And and it, regarding these um, ideas, they're going to improve the logging code and improve the land clearing code. They've been saying that. The National Party has been telling that to Stokes since late 2019. And he keeps on saying, oh, well, good, great. Okay, I'll, I'll allow you to do that. Come forward with a proposal on how you're going to do it. And they just refused to. And this new announcement is saying they're going to come forward with some some new rules for land clearing and logging regarding koalas uh, by the end of April. Well, I just don't believe it, frankly. I just think it's uh, uh, they're not. They've got no intention of doing that if anything's going to weaken them. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a, an appalling situation. Now, of course, we've got actions coming up uh, statewide. As Kate Famine said, we're having actions here in the, the Tweed, the Clarence and uh, in Lismore, here in, uh, in, in River FM's uh, footprint. Um, there's uh, a lot of people outraged by, by this and I think that uh, the state government might find themselves with a bit of a fight on their hands. Well, I
10: hope so. I mean, look, if the only thing is going to make a difference, we're losing our, <clears throat> we're losing our koalas and we're losing our democratic rights. Uh, councils are being sidelined in this process. So, you know, our ability to regulate what occurs in our local neighbourhood is being removed. I just just find that appalling, Mm. Uh, absolutely appalling. And this won't be the end of it. Once they allow logging in environmental zones, they've made very clear they're going to start allowing clearing. Um, There's sort of what I call allowable clearing, which is roads and fence lines and quarries and airports. And all the sort of stuff that you can do outside environmental zones, well, they're trying to allow that in environmental zones as well. And they've just changed the rules regarding uh, uh, fire protection where you can clear 50 metres on your property boundary. Uh, and again, no requirement for assessment. It's just an open-class approach. Doesn't no matter what's there, you can go ahead and do it.
1: It is going to make the argument for the uh, Great Koala National Park and the Sandy Creek Koala Park even more urgent than it was previously, isn't it? To have those reserves is going to become absolutely essential if we're going to have any hope of saving those koalas, isn't it? Uh, it,
10: already, <coughs> sorry, it already is essential. <laughs> we yeah. need to protect the koalas where they occur. Mm. You know, what koalas and things. the factor that's affecting koalas is loss of habitat. That's the primary cause of all their problems is that we're clearing their habitat, and they seem to like the coastal forests quite a lot. I mean, there's, they're inland as well, but they're being wiped out there by climate change unfortunately. Mm. Coming under pressure on the coast by climate change, the increasing number of droughts is just affecting them really badly, and the uh, the heat waves we have as well is uh, is affecting them as well. So, you know, it's more important that we pick what habitat we've got uh, left than ever before, and... Um, uh, once, you, once you clear their habitat you uh, and fragment it, then they start getting stressed and start getting diseased and they start after having to wander across the landscape looking for partners and food and that's when you get dog attacks and uh, car strikes uh, more frequently.
1: Yes, all right. Well, we're going to have to stand up and do something about that, aren't we? But uh, look, uh, we should move on. Uh, In the last few minutes, we've got uh, there was another big issue locally with the Northeast Forest Alliance describing the Forestry Corporation's widening of a track through rainforest around a hoop pine plantation west of Urbanville in the upper Clarence River Valley uh, that resulted in the clearing and damage of five to six hectares of World Heritage quality rainforest, mostly in the Tulum National Park, as a callous and indiscriminate act of vandalism. What's been happening up there?
10: Uh, during the fires, and as best as I can ascertain, it was probably in December 2019, the Forestry Corporation just went berserk in trying to protect their plantations. And in um, in, the, in the Tulum area, in the, in the Tulum National Park, they, years ago, I think it was the 90s, late 1970s, they cleared a patch of rainforest in the middle of a larger area of rainforest and planted soup pines in there. Mm. Um, so something that should never have occurred in the first place. But anyway, they, they had done it. But then uh, when the, the fire threat was underway, they, uh, they went in and just bulldozed into the surrounding rainforest. So they uh, pushed over trees they up, to 80, up to 70 centimetres diameter, so quite large rainforest trees, and just pushed them straight into the rainforest all around the plantation. Mm. So, as you say, about five or six hectares protected, which over four was in the national park. Uh, and it was just wanton vandalism. That wasn't done carefully. They, they could have uh, kept their footprints within the plantation and just cleared some of the huespires around the edges if that was what they wanted to do. But in all that debris they pushed into the rainforest, actually increased its flammability and its mm. risk of burning. And, you know, our rainforest are an incredible risk. Uh, we lost about a, a third of them in the fires uh, in 2019-20, uh, which is a horrifying amount of our rainforest to, to lose in one year. Yeah. They're in big trouble, and here we have the forestry going bulldozing them, and... uh uh, and increasing their fire risk by opening up the canopy, letting the sunlight in, drying them out and leaving all this fuel laying around. I, I've got
1: a photo in front of me here uh, of the windrows of, of uh, destroyed rainforest trees being pushed up. Obviously red earth, bare earth on one side and rainforest on the other. It's uh, you know, very clearly uh, you know, a, a, a beautiful bit of rainforest and, and very clearly just absolute wanton carnage.
10: There, there were trees there up to 2.5 metres diameter. That's pretty big trees that were damaged in the operation as well. So the biggest one that was pushed over and bulldozed was about 70 centimetres, but there's trees up to 2.5 metres diameter damaged and some of those will die. And a lot of trees, a lot of standing trees have died as well. So it was just carnage, really. Mm. And uh, uh, I, I want something to be done about it. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, They're saying sort of the fire they're allowed to get away with, with doing it. Well, I'd like to know if that's true, whether they did have a proof or not from the incident controller during the fire. Uh, and if they did, then this shouldn't be an happen again. There's no way. And uh, they shouldn't be required to go in there and rehabilitate the rainforest, to yeah. replant those cleared areas and remove some of that problem debris. that's still, still sitting in tree crowns.
1: Yeah, you've, You're calling on Environment Minister Matt Keane to ensure this incident's fully investigated, it says here, and uh, do you think there'll be support from those? Uh, there's been a couple of... Uh, a few MLCs uh, in, in the committees in the New South Wales Parliament asking some hard questions. Do you think any of those are going to be able to pursue that for uh, for the Northeast Forest Alliance? Um, look, I,
10: I'm not sure. I have written to Matt Keane and I've asked him to investigate it mm. and we'll... See what comes of that. Mm. I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Um, as with many of these sorts of things, forestry just get a blank cheque to go do what they like. And if they can go and clear rainforest in the national park, there's something very wrong with our system.
1: Yeah. So, um, what are we calling on people to do this week to help with the uh, the campaign?
10: Oh, I think people need to be aware of the dire effect to our koalas. It's, it's not just our koalas, as you say. It's all our forests and all our uh, forests are protected on private land. Uh, And speak up, do something, Uh, stand up, uh, write to the ministers, write to the papers. Uh, uh, We need people to speak up and let uh, our politicians know the community is concerned. Particularly in places like Tweed where we have a national party member and parents of national party members. We're going to let them know this is not on, this is not good
1: enough. So the big actions on the, the 21st uh, and, and in the tweet on the 20th, uh, joining in the statewide Day of Actions, I guess that's a, a good opportunity for people to, to to find others who feel similarly outraged.
10: Um, I think so. And uh, just let the broader community and our politicians know you are outraged.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dylan, for your time today. We really appreciate you uh, you giving us the, your, your, your perspective on all of that. OK. Thank you very much, Tom. Have a great day. Okay, bye. That was Dylan Pugh, the president of the Northeast Forest Alliance and renowned conservationist, uh, speaking about the carnage that's going on in our forests still, even uh, while the. Uh the government tries to greenwash itself. Uh, they are preparing to drive our koalas into extinction and are in the process of, in fact, bulldozing rainforest here on uh, in the n- beautiful north coast of New South Wales. You're tuned into environmental uh-huh. as anything. Have you ever felt uncomfortable about the fact that so much of the corporate capitalist economy seems to be based on spending a heap of time and energy digging stuff up out of the ground, processing it into some product or other, and then using it once and then burying it again? Well, don't worry, you're not alone. Ashley Brinson, Executive Director of the Warren Centre, is speaking at the Building the Circular Economy Expo on the 23rd of November 2021. He's covering topics such as the one-way flows in globalised economy, the accumulation problem and the circular economy solution, and the circular economy developments in Australia and globally. He spoke to Michelle Michaels from the Eco Futures Show on Bay FM, and she was very generously shared her interview with him with us here on environmental as anything.
11: The old economy was the linear economy of it's called take, make, use, dispose, linear pathway. We take raw materials out of the earth, we convert them into um, let's say it's a piece of metal fabricate that into an object, it goes into the economy. It gets used sometimes for a very little period of time and then it gets disposed of and frequently ends up in a landfill. And that sort of um, linear uh, path of taking, extracting resources and then burying them in a landfill is highly unsustainable. The
12: report said within six months, materials
11: will end up in waste and landfill. Very rapidly. If you look at a single-use plastic water bottle as, as an example. Um, that water bottle might, you know, the, the useful part of filling the bottle, distributing it, having it on a, a store shelf, drinking it, and then by the time you have purchased it, consumed it, and thrown it into the bin, that's a very narrow use, time and hands of consumers. So, uh, you know, that's an example. Single-use plastic is an example that's particularly annoying to us all because we see it every day and recycling is is a strong solution there but even more than recycling there are many elements of the economy around us that are almost the waste is designed into product supply chain so i've got as as we were talking i've got a collection of mobile phones and digital technology around me and these have all got different charging plugs And so what we see now is leading economies around the world uh, are standardizing on features and functions that just it doesn't make any sense that there is a difference in different suppliers' charger for phones. They
12: were standardizing that for a while there, probably about five, six, seven years ago, I remember it was supposed to be standardized,
11: wasn't it? You'll see there's a the USB C standard out now that is, um, seems to be the prevalent uh, charger cable now, um, in addition to connecting your data stick and, and other. But that, that's just an example of not just recycling goods, not just a charger for three years and then throwing it in the bin because you're mobile phone model has changed but actually going upstream into the into the process and redesigning the way that our goods are made so that they are designed for the circular economy and they're capable of being reused so that the same charger could be used on two or three different electronic devices or one electronic device could use two or three different chargers. That's yes. a great design case. But designing out the waste, designing goods so that they are capable of being refurbished, you know, it's only in the last 50 years or 100 years that having uh, milk in a plastic bottle instead of having milk in a reusable glass bottle. Um uh, became fashionable, and we still landfill a, a huge amount of, of plastic that's single-use plastic from from different food goods. So that 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 sort of um, convenience of single-use, single waste material is relatively new in human existence, and it, we need to be going back and re-examining why we do the things we do, and and perhaps designing um, new supply chains ah uh, for for better time of the good being useful in the economy rather than maximizing the profit for one chink along the, the 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 chain of the of the supply chain. So um
12: and at an industrial level, engineering is design focused and can assist in industrialization type business models. Could you give any examples of where a circular economy is working at a higher level, you know, like mining, um agriculture areas like that?
11: Uh, so there's some classic examples from Kalundborg, uh, Denmark where four or five Companies partners are in one industrial park, and the, the park has been designed such that the feedstock for Company B is the waste from Company A, and the waste from Company B becomes the feedstock for Company C. And there's sort of a symbiosis among these different neighbors such that waste can be recovered and, and used in a more efficient way with many, many partners sharing utilities and sharing um waste treatment facilities to minimize the overall impact on the environment. Um, that's example of, a, of an economy that has been there uh, for, for many decades, many, um, many decades. Uh, in, in China, we see uh, purpose-built industrial parks that are um, coming online right now with lots of these um, symbiotic relationships there. Uh, as, as we see growth in New South Wales, We've got a new Sydney fish market coming up on the um, in the inner west. Uh, you know, I'd really like to see some circular economy designs in in the fish market. Uh, we've got a, a Western Sydney, aerotropolis, and there'll be many, many opportunities for linking uh, companies together, having more efficient energy systems connected with. Uh, transport to and from uh, the the, the airport and even with some of the local companies that will be co-located there. Um, Parramatta City is growing.
12: Um, So what sort of circular economy could you do with the fish market? With the waste from the fish or could it be reused or upcycled or something into a different
11: product? uh, So, you know, one of the first things to look at is the use of single-go plastic. And if you go down uh, to my favorite place at the fish market and pick up some sushi in the morning, they may be wrapped in plastic. And then the plastic may be in a plastic box with a piece of um, oh, cellophane goodness, tape. Yeah. And then the, the plastic inside the plastic would be put inside of a plastic bag and handed to you. And we can all, in the last 12 months, I've seen a lot more um, ecologically uh, sensible fish packaging and sushi packaging. So look out for that. I think there's some
12: issues around packaging. It's a self-regulated industry, isn't it? The Australian packaging industry. I think overall it's a lot better than it used to be and people went to plastic to save the trees. So we're always in this dilemma. There are some balances. Would you agree that there, there is some balance around packaging that has, has improved the outcome for conservation? But
11: There's much greater awareness. Exposure of Australia to Offshore manufacturing, especially manufacturing coming out of China and, and broader Asia and then bringing those goods which are plastic wrapped and then plastic wrapped in plastic wrapped in plastic on a pallet that's waterproof wrapped in plastic and then all of that comes to Australia. Uh, the, the packaging all gets ripped off the return trip out of Australia is closed such that if it's not made domestically a, a lot of packaging is coming in overseas shipments that's an issue that's been exposed with China sword policy which don't want uh, they don't want indiscriminately mixed plastic yeah. rubbish and it can activate um, local, micro-manufacturing and um, local supply chains and, and create... Lower the footprint, the carbon footprint. Lower footprint the footprint and yeah. create real empathy and real connectedness with consumers and local agricultural consumers and local restaurants. You see this environment where it paddock to the plate.
12: It eases people's anxieties as well because you know obviously the supply chains with COVID, you know, I've seen myself even, you know, with a range of products. You know, kids at my kids are online ordering something that hasn't turned up for a month, and I know that's because the supply chain's been interrupted. There's a certain anxiety around and you see that nationalism and, and you know protective sort of comments from politicians and such. But I think when people know that some of their products are made locally. It it eases anxieties, especially in times of um, epidemics. It's about people's well-being and security if some of our products are locally sourced, and it's better for the environment.
11: It's also a cultural matter. You know, if you go to a restaurant in Korea with um, local Korean people, you'll sit down and you will get kimchi that is made very, very locally. Eat locally sourced food. And we can make decisions to, to wash up dishes instead of throw um, single use.
12: What's old is new again with fixing and repairing and sustainability focus. So thank you very much. It's brilliant. Wonderful actually. to speak with you, Michelle. That was Ashley
1: Brinson, Executive Director of the Warren Centre for Advanced Engineering at the University of Sydney, and Co-Director of the New South Wales Circular Economy Innovation Network, speaking to Michelle Michaels from Eco
6: Koalas are in the news again as the New South Wales government agrees to strip rural koalas of protections. In the meantime, in the bush there are growing calls for a koala-led recovery based on new national parks that would actually protect the koala's core habitat and boost ailing regional economies. Sean O'Shaughnessy from River FM reports.
1: The Great Koala National Park is proposed as Australia's first large national park dedicated to protecting koala habitat. The park will add 175,000 hectares of native forests to existing protected areas to establish a 315,000 hectare reserve on the New South Wales mid-north coast. University of Newcastle's study of the proposed Great Koala National Park comprised two areas of focus, an economic impact assessment and an environmental benefit analysis. Over these two areas, the research demonstrated that the park would generate additional regional economic output of $1.2 billion over the next 15 years and $1.7 billion in biodiversity value. Professor Ryan is the Pro-Vice Chancellor of Human and Social Futures at Newcastle University and she was lead author of this groundbreaking report.
6: The costs of establishing the park... In the five LGAs, we estimated to be around about the 300 million mark. We estimate that that will lead to around about a million visitors at the end of the 15 year period, and that that visitation would generate in the order of $1.8 billion in. Economic output for the region. The real story that's come out of this is the jobs generation. At the end of the 15 year period, we estimate about 10,000 jobs will be created. Now, that's a terrific job story, I think, for the mid North Coast. There's a real range of job opportunities and I think really ongoing high value jobs.
1: In that job story, there's a comparison with the number of jobs which might need to be transitioned out of native forest logging.
6: We were very lucky to engage with the Timber Association. Uh, There'd been some work done by um, a consulting firm that provided us some numbers uh, from which we were able to base our estimates. We estimate mid-range conservative figures of about seven hundred job losses compared to potentially ten thousand jobs created. We have relied on the work that the industry itself's done to to draw the lines around that. There's no impact on renewable forestry uh, as a result of uh, the establishment of the park. Well, what do we do with native forestry? We've had the opportunity to uh, transition these industries in other parts of Australia.
1: Do you think that the methods that you've used could be used as a technique for assessing the the similar values for for such a a park? Would that be a simple template proposition for you to now do for, for that?
6: Yeah. Yeah, look, these studies are a fairly standard and agreed methodology. The work from the researcher's point of view is working through the assumptions. This approach has been applied to national parks all around the country. It's actually just a standard model. You just stick in the numbers and out it pops.
1: Janelle Safin is the representative for the New South Wales seat of Lismore. I spoke to her about the potential for a koala-led recovery. Is the Labor Party going to get behind the Great Koala National Park and the Sandy Creek Koala Park, which have been proposed?
2: We did um,
12: back the great um, Koala National Park in the lead up to the election, and there's a lot of support. That support still exists within the Labor Party, that's been clear. We need to settle it once and for all. We keep having this endless debate, you know, 9,800 jobs, I mean, that's a lot of jobs. What I'd like to say about the jobs in the timber industry, we've got to make sure those people are Yes. We transition, but we've got to do it well. Do any of us really want
6: to see the extinction of koalas in the wild? It would be a pretty shocking day to wake up Mm. to say that we haven't protected these important assets. And one way of talking about those is to put a dollar value on them. Professor Roberta Ryan from Newcastle University wrapping up that report.
1: This afternoon, I've got... uh, the redoubtable Naomi Shine here in the studio with me. Hey, Naomi.
5: Hello, everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us again um, for another Saturday afternoon of uh, news and
5: events. Yeah, it's a pleasure.
1: It's great to have you here. And uh, well, it's been a jam packed show. We've just heard a bunch of uh, stories from The Wire and uh, from the Eco Futures. It's uh, so much going on for the environment, eh?
5: That's right. That's right. Yes, well, I would start with how I've had a great week out in uh, at Forest Tops Campground, uh, getting out into Beryl Creek, um, Bar Mountain, all along the border ranges. There,
1: communing with nature. That's
5: right. And I come back and I see a post that you put up: um, humans and our pets and livestock make up uh, ninety-seven point. One one percent of the Earth's land mam- mammals by weight and wildlife make up 2.89%.
1: I think that might have been one of our other contributors, one of our mm. quiet contributors. Uh, Jody oh. uh, might have put that one up. But yeah, that is a fascinating story, isn't yes. it? Yes.
5: Well, it doesn't... Um, that's scary, scary. really. Scary. Yes. Terrifying. Yeah. And uh, I didn't. Uh, marsupials are Kind of a subcategory of weird, mas- uh, weird mammals, and I did see a road killed um, paddy melon. They love those cool, um, slightly elevated. Forests, um, And on the way back, th- I saw this beautiful, shiny, fractal um, black snake sunning on itself on the road. Mm. And when it didn't pull off the road, I pulled over because there was cars coming behind me. But it, it did skitter off the mm. road. It mm. was just um, taking an opportunity to get some sun.
1: Yeah. Our roads are literally coated in blood, aren't they?
5: Mm. Yes. Shocking. Yes. And I did see um, a blue and red uh, marin or large yabby in Beryl Creek. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I tangled with a um, one of the big um, tree ferns, an Australian tree fern down there in the creek. I put my hand on it. I got thorns in my fingers. Oh. It took me a few days to pull out with a pin. Oh. And um, I was, uh, you know, putting my clothes back on after swimming in the creek and the, the leaf... Went inside my clothes briefly, <laughs> and all these irritants got really started to change my clothes as soon as I got back to camp. So don't mess with the Australian tree fern. Very no. spiky. Yeah. Still thinks it's in the land of the dinosaurs. Obviously, no, that's right. Very spiky. Very irritating. Do not <laughs> accidentally catch some of the vegetation <laughs> in your clothing. Good, good, good
1: advice. I'll, I'll try and try and remember that when I'm in the bush. Yeah, yes. thanks.
5: Um, but no, fun was had by all. It was very beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's sad to see those very ancient Antarctic beach that have the rootstock that are. 2000 years old they'll be very vulnerable to climate change mm. because they're from the Gondwana they're so old their uh, heritage comes from the Gondwana landmass yeah. and they're cool like uh, they're protected on in a la nina summer like this summer because they they have their cloud forest type Thing with lots of mist rolling over them, lots of lichens, hang, mosses hanging off and they collect that um, moist air. But that drought we had was really hard on them on, on them, in that forest because the mists evaporated for that time.
1: Yeah. yeah. It doesn't make it so hard as the climate changes mm. and those conditions that they've adapted to or have, have, have evolved within yes. evaporate, as you say. Mm,
5: yeah, but a lovely sense of hush up there in the mm. Antarctic Beach oh, yeah. section. Yeah, some oh, yeah. really big old trees. It was beautiful. Yeah,
1: and, uh, and obviously beautiful people out there uh, having a spiritual experience, doing some meditation and yes, some, some uh, bushwalking. and That's
5: right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And yeah. eating um, vegetarian food, oh. sitting around the campfire, having sharing circles. is highly recommended. Highly recommended. Good <laughs> on you. Yes. Um, but back into the big wide world, um, I've got some comment on, um, uh, I think, uh, just the politics of the of the of the state and federal governments, um, Darlan In his me- weekly media release, uh, me- media roundup, he's called it the koala kill bill two. Yes, which you've already talked about, um, and he goes into it there. That's a highly w- worth looking at the media release um, that he puts together on the NIFA website.
1: It is, isn't it? It's a great page, and I, one of the lines that stuck out to me was that it was the, the announcement was greeted by strong condemnation from. Uh, Chris Gambian at the Nature Conservation Council and across the board a range of other voices uh, it was a you know PR disaster for the government as it was generally seen as a cave into the nats yep and that's uh, you know nobody wants to see our koalas being thrown on the uh, the, the bonfire of the vanities mm. for Porky Barillaro and he's a uh, developer and logging mate yeah yeah
5: thrown under the bus mm. Yes, and uh, interestingly, the NCEC does a media release, uh, media roundup as well, and uh, there's corruption in there. The uh, nature concerns spur legal bid against secret national cabinet documents. So, an environment group is challenging Minister Susan Leigh's refusal to release documents relating to the selection of fast tracked major projects. So, highly sus. Yeah, that's right. Know, oh, we're going to
1: fast-track all these yes. major projects and then if you come and ask us to tell you why, then we're going to say no.
5: Yeah. So yeah. it's
1: just don't worry about it. It's yeah. fine, fast-tracking major projects. It's what not happened big, to no, the governance? To see here. Yeah. No, no, no mm. there's no... Governance, what's that? Oh, look over, look over there. There's <laughs> a shiny thing. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a unicorn.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But on the other hand, New South Wales is set to become a world leader in low-emission industries thanks to an unparalleled 750 million New South Wales government program um, put forward by Energy Minister Matt Keane. Mm. So... Mm. You know, it's a pretty mixed bag, uh, highly dodgy and innovative all at once.
1: Yes, well, it's, it's the chaos of the, the end of capitalism. As, as the transition occurs, there'll be a lot of uh, kicking and screaming from the old guard and there'll be a, a lot of fresh and interesting, innovative uh, work from the new guard and then there'll be some cowboys who are somewhere in between trying to cash in on Christmas. Mm. On both sides of the fence. It's going yes, uh, to yeah. be interesting times.
5: Yeah, like the cl- collapse of communism, you made me think of the way. Mm. <laughs> that was a very um, interesting transition and mm-hmm. the mafia took over. So yeah. <laughs> let's hope that doesn't let's happen. hope we can avoid the mafia. <laughs> like, we I mean, beginner, you that's know, yeah, right. Yes. Um, ah, and, well, you know, government obfuscating things again. Uh, our sister show, Meg, um, on Celebrating Earth and Art, interviewed Charlie Prell, f- Chair of the Farmers for Climate Action. Oh, yeah. And um, so Farmers for Climate Action are aware of the need to protect koala habitat on farmland and protect land for biodiversity, carbon storage, climate, health and productivity. Yeah.
1: Farmers are a wake-up to this and, uh, you know, I found it funny this week hearing uh, uh, Farmers New South Wales being quoted on the on the radio and then I realised what they meant was the Farmers Federation. Uh, they've renamed themselves for, for, they've rebranded for PR purposes so that every time they're mentioned in the media, they're called Farmers New South Wales and it's like, oh, The farmers of New South Wales think this and the other. No, the farmers of New South Wales don't think that the koalas should be driven into extinction. No. That's not what the farmers actually want. There's just some um, industry body that's, uh, you know, obviously got its hands Mm. dirty. Yes. Anyway. Mm.
5: Sorry. Um, Yeah, before we go into more local events, um, uh, we've got an email from the Water Northern Rivers about um, the Draft New South Wales Water Strategy. So this is another round of submissions and it's more generally about dams and water strategies. And so the significant themes that um, water... Northern Rivers has pulled out of it are Indigenous heritage, diversification of supply, this is all about water supply, climate impacts, water efficiency, investment in change, security and new technology and educating the community. So that's um, submissions due uh, the 28th of March, so we've got a bit of time. I'll keep mentioning it on the show um, but the Water Northern Rivers have already put together a draft document to help you with um, key points Mm. and it's a draft New South Wales Water Strategy by the DP Die, and they're seeking our submissions. I did when they ha- sought submissions um, a few months ago. I put in a submission then yep. saying Makes we sense. don't want all the dam levels in the region put up, and no. so all of that.
1: So you can go into all the detail under the sun, and that's a really good thing to do if you're if you've got got access to it. But you can also just make a heartfelt uh, appeal uh, based on logic and common sense, and uh, you know community adhere community yeah. uh, you know values. Yes, doesn't have to be uh, you know terribly technical. No, that's to be a right. valid submission.
5: Yes. Yep. So check out um, Warden Northern Rivers website, and we've uh, we'll have more information for you um, once they when they finish their draft and they've turned it into a document to publicise. We'll publicise it.
1: They do do great work. At Water, Water Northern North the Rivers. The Rivers, brilliant. Yeah, yeah,
5: great to be in the loop with them. Yep. Um, and moving on to events. We've got lots of things going on um, to this afternoon, four to six pm, Riverside Park, Spring into Scavenge. Um, you know, take your take gloves, masks, um, a bag to pick up litter, and you can go and they're setting up a mini op shop there for if you to exchange your litter for secondhand goods and clothes. So that's a lovely thing put yeah. on by um, Scavenge and Luke Stone,
1: turning litter into currency.
5: Yeah, lovely. <laughs> Get along to that. Absolutely. And then uh, tomorrow, uh, Northern Rivers Guardians are publicising a public meeting on nightcap on Minjungbal, one of these, this large development. I've mm. read a bit more about it. The Northern Rivers Guardians website has um, a document uh, detailing all about why they're objecting to the um, uh, development. And that that meeting is 12 to 3 p.m. at the Yukai Hall. Get details about the proposed development. Discuss and learn how to make submissions. Um, tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow, yes. <laughs> so, those submissions are due the 24th of this month. Um, and I would like to have a look at uh, their... Um, so, the, the point is it's like 15... Hundred hectares, ten different MOs, um, three over three hundred homes, uh, three hundred ninety-two dwellings. Um, they're all going to have to process to their own sewage, uh, and the uh, the, that, the very that fifteen hundred hectares is the environmental impact alone can be considered reason enough to reject this proposal. It's koala habitat. Yeah. Mm, yeah,
1: and this is a new usage of the whole MO thing. It was set up by uh, you know. Uh, the the, uh, the new settlers who came up uh, to the north coast and around Australia trying to find affordable land uh, uh, options it's now been taken up by developers as a way of uh, uh, exploiting uh, un, unsubdivided land uh, in for this kind of development it sounds like it's uh, taken on an ugly side to it the whole idea of an mo these days yeah yeah that's not uh, what
5: the intentional community no, aspect uh, mm. yeah um, councillor um, uh, tweet councillor one Cooper said that the rural landscape has to be rurally useful and that it wasn't just to have trees on it. It has to be related to its use, not just to look at. Now, I'm not sure what he's going on about there. <laughs> I'm quite curious, but he's uh, objecting, so I'll... Roll with that, but just looking at—I'm not into just having a landscape to yeah, look at. No, no,
1: landscape. <laughs> Landscape—it's just there for to be, to make pretty paintings of,
5: isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, yeah not, gonna, uh, I think you these? need to firm up your r- r- PR rurally, there, Ron.
1: Rurally useful. You've got to run cattle across it, or it's, or it's not valid land. Mm, yes. No. Yeah. I think
5: we'd rather have the koalas at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So get along to the UK hall tomorrow, twelve to three, if you can. Um, and then also tomorrow, uh, there's a, a um, online event I thought I'd just quickly mention, Women Rise Up Globally Against Femicide, International Women's Day Celebration. It's a Radical Women's Event and Radical Women Australia. Just, you know, if you thought you might want to pop along to an online event. Oh, okay. It's a bit late for International Women's Day, isn't it? Well, uh, Monday the 15th, March for Justice Rally in Lismore, International Women's Day Rally. We're having our own one there, 12 noon at the Lismore Transit Centre. I'll be trying to put together the PA and making sure we've got sound. So, good luck to (laughs) me. Good
1: luck to you. And I guess every day should be International Women's Day.
5: Yes. um, This is a, um, a, I think it's... National or International March for Justice for uh, Women's Rights. So, And it's particularly relating to the debacle in, in Parliament right. and the terrible it's sexual disgusting. harassment and assaults that yeah. have been happening there. Mm. Um, also on Monday the 15th, an online event, The Future of Food Security in Australia. This is, um, you know, for going forward. It's by the A- Australian National University Alumni It's 6.30 to 7.30pm and there's a link on that Facebook event. So uh, all the events bar the UKI Hall one that I'll be mentioning are on our Facebook page. So if you need more details, go there to our events section. Um, and then on Wednesday the 17th, Northern Rivers Rail Limited are having um, at one of their meetings, a public meeting, 6pm at the Mallambimbi X services Club to talk about bringing back the rail with the new not-for-profit called Northern Rivers Rail Limited. Hmm. So get, 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 get along to that if you're I mean, in Mullumb. I
1: and mean, carrying on the campaign. Yeah. Good
5: work. And... Uh, Wednesday the 17th, 6pm to 7.30, also online, Why We Need a Critical Legal Innovation to Tackle Climate Change by Australian Earth Laws Alliance and Ecological Law and Governance Association. So this is what we were talking about earlier. This is, uh, you know, we need this really big change, critical legal innovation. To tackle climate change, good on them. Absolutely. I'm not it's sure that that would not go above my head, but
1: <laughs> oh well, I'm sure there'd be uh, there'd be bits of it that would go above all our heads. But then mm. again, we all have to start to grapple with these difficult issues. We're going to replace capitalism yeah. uh, with something. It yes. has to be something coherent that we all agree to. Yeah. It has to be democratic and understood. Give it a
5: legal basis. It has to be a legal forward.
1: basis, and as much as there has to be a, a, an ethical and uh, and and uh, ecological basis to
5: yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm uh and then on uh sunday the twenty first we've got three really important events um ten a m to twelve noon adventure land care by Wilson's River Landcare on Molesworth Street, uh, Lismore, the Browns Creek, uh, meet at the Browns Creek Pump Car Park. So they'll be weeding on the slope there. It's quite a steep slope. That's why they've called it Adventure venture land care. <laughs> Love Wilson's River Landcare. Good on you for looking yeah. after the river like Great that. Work. Yep. Yes. And then uh, save our Koala's Day of Action. There'll be an event in Hyde Park in Sydney. There'll be an event in the Clarence. There'll be our own Lismore event, which we haven't got a Facebook um, event for we, yet.
1: We do have a Facebook event. Do we? Uh, it's been, it's, uh, yeah, the, the details are still being hammered out, but okay. they uh, that
5: will be up. Uh, Great. All tomorrow. right, we'll share that. Yes. Yeah.
1: And uh, there's also a Tweed event you've mentioned on the 20th. Yes.
5: Oh, the 20th. Okay. That's
1: right. So that's the day before. Yeah. And, the um,
5: Mill event, is
1: that? Yeah, that's Mill happening yeah. oh, around, yes. you know, through the, the Mill Tweed. And there's also, there are going to be events, uh, Coffs Harbour, uh, Nambucca. You know, I believe Fantastic. that there's events across the state. Uh, so get involved in that. That's going to mm. be uh, hu- hugely important if we actually want to s- sort of say no to this uh, n- new, you know, the the, the Koala Killer Bill 2 mm. um, because uh, it's it's not even a bill this time they're not no. going to bother putting it through the Parliament they oh. are going not going to try to uh, <laughs> try to pass it through the Parliament they're just trying to ram it through as regulations <laughs> so we really Governance. need to get uh, we really need to get completely organized if we're going to stop that extinction
5: yes. of
1: our koalas
5: well and if, if that's not enough to uh, float your boat there's um, uh, local people have organized a wonderful Liz Moore Skillshare day and um, uh, on the twenty first at two pm, and they're doing an awesome mix of skills to share for our second Lismore Skillshare event. So the skills are bike repair and maintenance, kombucha and fermentation, wicking, wicking garden bed making. So what a lovely local thing! That's um, that's deep adaptation at work there. People getting together to um, share skills. Um, in like I I'd love to remember how to toggle your bike gears so that the cable is the right tension for your, ha- you know, mm. your levers and whatnot. I used to be able to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> unfortunately, I'll be at the koala action, so I probably won't make it to the Skillshare. But it's a great idea for people
1: to get into repairing their uh, their equipment, isn't it? It's, yeah. Uh, you know,
5: yeah, fantastic. Huge frustration. Yeah. Mm. So, good on people for that. That's also in our list of events.
1: So, anybody can find any of these on our Facebook page at Environmental as Anything on
5: Facebook. That's right, Yep. And just to mention already, uh, Brisbane National Action Climate Truth Now. So, a bunch of Lismore Extinction Rebellion people will be trekking up to uh, uh, Mianjin, Brisbane, to get involved in that Extinction Rebellion event and just um, make a noise with the locals up there to, you know, try and turn around the uh the shit show yeah yeah,
1: so reach out to your local XR people you almost certainly know somebody or if you haven't uh, met XR people you'll find them on Facebook too yes and uh, you know you'll be able to get involved in those uh, those actions up in Brisbane obviously vitally important that we get that uh, message across uh, in the big cities as well
5: yeah that's right well that's where the uh, heads of industry are like Santos and Adani and um, you know all the uh, money exchanges and all Mm. that sort of thing so Mm. Disrupt is the name of the game. uh, Roger Hallam saying we've only got six to 12 months to turn this ship around. Let's start making a noise or continue making a noise.
3: Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Uh, And there's also workshops and events to do with the, um, speaking with the river, the uh, Northern Rivers Community Gallery in Ballina. So they've opened the exhibition. Um, They're having public events and workshops um, from the 21st, Sunday the 21st. Uh, so check out their website, which I can put up on our thing as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, we uh, we spoke to Rob uh, last week on the show. Rob Garbett came in and we had uh, that right. session. And we had lots of people giving really lovely feedback about that uh, that interview. And it was uh, uh, good to know that people enjoyed that. And, yeah, they should get along to the uh, to the actual exhibition if they enjoyed
5: the interview. Yeah. Uh, that'll be even more enjoyable, I, That's th- right. I suspect. Yeah. Well, I reckon. <laughs> Uh, Now, I was trying to find, um, dear old uh, Nimbin Environment Centre have sent a lovely email uh, with an update from Camp Bimby saying um, they've got photos from the garden and they've had a bit of a quiet time and they're hoping more people can come up to Camp Bimby while they do some more actions because uh, Adani is going ahead up there and it's... uh, Lovely report um, with also a photo feature of a guy who did go out and lock on and got arrested. And he says, Kyle McGee, 36, if I didn't do this and just kept living my life, there might be a point where climate change is so bad that I would be regretting the time when I had a chance to potentially change this. And there he is with his rainbow lock on. Love love on, it says in <laughs> metal work on it. It's an elbow. And he looks a bit like a surfy dude. So good on you, (laughs) Kyle. Yeah. Um, And then they've got some footage uh, of... uh, Not footage. A photo of a really bad-looking pond... ...because Adani has uh, breached its... um, ...not been on its best behaviour. An official complaint was made... um, ...because their water treatment has not been up to scratch. And... uh, Yes. Also, not happy with Adani this month with the Isaac Regional Council, local government for the mine site. Uh, they, um, the government is learning the hard way. What the environmental says, has said all along: um, this profit-driven company do not care about the land. No, are not trustworthy. Well, it's just
1: inherent in the in the nature of profit takers and rent seekers to not care about anything else. there that are external to their their accounting procedures, mm, isn't it? Mm. You can't expect uh, profit-taking corporations to uh, to to think about other things other than their their what their accountants tell them to think about. They mm. have their fiduciary duties, and it is their nature to to to, to disregard those externalities. Mm. It's, it's our it's our job to to uh, to, to bring them to heal. I'm afraid it's just mm. it seems to be that we're going to have to an entirely reform that yes. whole corporate structure system of corporate structures, in so that they are taking into account these uh, the, these what they currently consider to be external. Because mm, nature their,
5: can't absorb it anymore. Yeah, no, mm. to,
1: it's all been shunted onto nature for 100, 100 years at least now, mm. and uh, so nature is in the on the verge of collapse, and we're all going to go down with it. Yeah, and it'll be a horrible shock to those who. Think that they're, in a, uh, you know, that, they're, that they're very clever mm. in, in externalizing their, uh, their costs. <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, you know, <laughs> no,
5: it's going to be a big illusion. It's a big illusion. reckoning, there's, yes. there's no doubt about it. Yes, and some other interesting mail I received this week World Wildlife Fund haven't uh, saved the Maui dolphin. There's only 63 left. This is a, a dolphin native to the waters of Aotearoa, New Zealand. And apparently, an adult uh, Maui dolphin will fit in your bath. Oh. And a baby male oh, dolphin <laughs> is the size of a football. Oh. <laughs> Isn't that cute? That's so cute. Yeah. So I don't know. They're just asking for money. I guess it's um, uh, you know, maybe they need to have a captive breeding program or something. But mm. yeah. Oh, good on them. Good yeah. On them. So that was a big week for it us. It was. Yeah. Look at
1: that. Wow, what a rundown. Everybody needs to, if anybody wants to find out any of the details, go to our uh, Facebook page straight away. You can do that right now or any you like to find out the details. Of Send us a events. message. Send us a message if you're looking for information or if you want to share uh, an event with us, then Please. Do, do so either through Facebook or just message us through Facebook. More than happy to hear from you anytime. You can always catch up with anything you've missed on the show. Any of the original content that we've produced, you can catch up with on our podcast, uh, which you can find wherever you look for good podcasts. Uh, look for environmental as anything. We'll be mm, there. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Naomi. And thank you to the Lismore Environment Centre for sending you along. Going great. Yeah, yeah, it's great work. That was Naomi Shine from the Lismore Environment Centre filling us in with the events and actions for this week. For the northern rivers, for environmental as anything. Look, uh, that's it for us for another week, and uh, that means I'm going to have to say goodbye. Please join us again and uh, check us out on all those socials. Like, share, and uh, rate us. We really could do with the uh, you know some support from you out there who enjoy the show. And uh, in the meantime, bef- till we see till we he- till you hear us back again, um, please. Be gentle with yourself. Be kind to each other. And remember, we are all in this together. Sleep Australia, sleep. He's an Aussie icon joined by Alice Keith and Simon Nugent. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Paul Kelly.
0: Creep, shout out the noise all around, sleep Australia, sleep, and dream of counting sheep, jumping in fields colored brown, who rocked the cradle and cried, who rocked the cradle Asleep, as off the cliffs, the kingdoms leap. Count them as they say goodbye. Count down the little things, the insects and birds. Count down the bigger things, the flocks and the herds. Count down our rivers, our pastures and trees. But there's no need to hurry. It's only a matter of degrees Fog, Australia, fog Just like the boiling frog As we go, we won't feel a thing As off the cliff the kingdoms leave, count them as they pass on
1: by. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental as Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For
0: the future, we're hand in hand. Yeah.